Welcome to the Finding a Job podcast, a Ben J. Schaap LLC production. In this podcast, we share the stories of world-class business leaders as they discuss their professional journeys, job search strategies, and tactics that have led them to career success. If you're looking to find a fulfilling, well-paying career path, this podcast will unearth the tools and tips you need to expedite your learning curve and avoid common roadblocks that face people entering the working world. Now here's the host of the Finding a Job podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the Finding a Job podcast. Today we're going to hear from someone who has gone from a surf and ski bum to a Silicon Valley digital advertising salesman turned startup founder. Joining us is Brian Bennett, who is the CEO and founder of Egami TV, which is a state-of-the-art video content platform that provides your website with incremental video advertising revenue and free professional video content. And today, Brian is going to tell us about how we went from studying Russian business to becoming the founder of a technology startup. Okay, here's my conversation with the CEO and founder of Igami TV, Brian Bennett. Brian, welcome to the Finding a Job podcast. Hey, Ben. How are you? Excited to have you on the show and really looking forward to telling your story to people who are looking to start their career. Let's start off at the beginning. You had a non-traditional path to getting into technology sales and to becoming a startup founder. Bring us to the beginning of your career and tell us about your college experience and that transition. Yeah. And you know what? I think I'll go even earlier to that. And thinking about kind of my career, I think it started right around the fifth grade. So I don't know if they still have it these days, but they had a career test and you answer a bunch of questions and then it spits out kind of what they think you would be good at. And I think it was a firefighter, a salesperson, and I think like an architect. So I had these three results. And then it also, in a separate column, talks about kind of the range of money that you could potentially make. And I think firefighters were somewhere between like 23 and 33,000. Architects were like 25 to 38,000 a year. And then salespeople had this wild gap from like 20,000 to 110,000. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be a salesperson. I don't know what that means, but they make way more money than firefighters and architects. And you're less likely to be burned alive or have a house fall on you. Yeah, I think so. But I had no idea really what that actually meant. And then fast forward to, I think it was my junior year in high school. I had an economics teacher and this is 1988. So he said, you know, if you want to make a ton of money, you should learn Russian. And in 1988, was just the beginning of the collapse of the Soviet Union. He talked a lot about how there was, it's a huge, obviously, powerhouse in the world country. They have 96% literacy rate. And they talked about just the opportunities that could exist just from resources to technology, etc. So that kind of sat in my head. And then I got accepted into San Diego State. And I think at the time I applied, and I think it was like a mechanical engineering major, it was super impacted. This is 1990. So classes were super hard to get. So I quickly changed it to international business with kind of a dual major in Russian studies. And what that allowed me to do is it allowed me to get classes a little bit easier. And it was first of its kind at San Diego State where it's both business plus kind of a language. So it was really interesting, but it allowed me to get classes really quick. Everyone was taking Spanish. Looking back on it, I probably should have took Mandarin, but I went forward with Russian. And that's kind of where it all started. So even going back to grade school into fifth grade, you had a sense that money was a motivating factor in your career 
Why was that something that you were prioritizing? And how did you evaluate, look, I want to make a lot of money. And then I want to do something that I am interested and passionate about. How did you rationalize the two of those early on? I think money was the first motivator. And, and you know, I grew up definitely not on the uh, 1% scale. I was raised by a single mother. We had everything that we needed from the basics, but we weren't wealthy by any chance. So I think money for me was one of those things that I really wanted to. And how it kind of evolved into passion, I think that's going to happen a little bit later on in my career. But the motivating factor was, what can I do to make as much money as possible to buy the things that basically I didn't have growing up? So I think that was the first motivator. So you're studying international business at San Diego State. Eventually, you move on to the University of Arizona, and you have a similar educational experience, international business and Russian studies. Talk to me about the beginning of your careers. How did you translate that into your first job? The University of Arizona was a study abroad program uh, that I enrolled in while I was at San Diego State. When I was getting towards the end of my college career, I was studying Russian. I was studying you know, Russian literature, Russian language, business courses here in the US. And I said, well, I need to go over there. If this is the path that I'm going down, I need to actually move to Russia, Moscow specifically, and find out if this is something for me. So I enrolled in the University of Arizona study abroad program which allowed me to go to Moscow as well as have an internship with Hewlett Packard. So I moved to Moscow and I spent nine months in Moscow, stayed with the host family, entrenched myself into the culture, the language, which was absolutely phenomenal. I've worked for a company over there, Hewlett Packard, which was great. And again, it was during a very highly transitional time in Russia. There was a lot of changes that were happening, but there were a lot of things that were still the same. It was a very intense experience. So when I was there, it was a time where I needed to really kind of reflect if this is the path that I want to go down. What we would do is we would get picked up at the metro by a driver. On the front seat of the driver's car was a handgun. And he would drive us to and from kind of the metro. And then at work, which is Hewlett Packard, there were three security guards with automatic weapons right in front. I never saw any violence at work or even in Russia, but it was the way in which they kind of conducted business. There was a lot of backroom dealings. There was a lot of influence by government, some mafia. Kremlin was still kind of involved in things. A lot of things were getting sorted out. So it was just the way that people conducted business in that time. Uh, scared the crap out of me to the point where I said, well, I'm not sure if this is actually for me. As you mentioned earlier, you know, I'm a big surfer, outdoors person. It was freezing there. I was far, far away from the ocean. And so I had to really reevaluate what I want to do when I grow up. So you're in your early 20s at this point, and you're in a totally foreign environment, obviously dramatically different from you know being at San Diego State or the University of Arizona, and even from the United States in general. You mentioned it was a frightening experience. As you were evaluating the career path that you'd chosen from your educational days, and then when you were putting it into practice, what was the big realization and, and which direction did you head next? I think the big realization is... This is not for me. I need to go home and really self-reflect on the things that I want to do. I felt like I was lost and that I really needed to reevaluate all the energy and time that I had invested in school in Russian. Felt like it was kind of a waste of time. It wasn't until later on that I realized that each experience that you do have is actually a building block on where you're at today. What were the symptoms that led you to have that realization that you needed to reflect and evaluate? 
I think it was a negative 10 degrees temperature and being, <laughs> you know, 6,000 miles away from a wave. It was just to the point where, you know, I enjoyed the time that I had there, but I really wanted to figure out what would make me more happy in the long term. So that's when I did a lot of soul searching and I came back and I started to write down specifically what are the things in my life that make me happy. And a lot of it was around surfing and skateboarding and being kind of outdoors. And I wasn't good enough to be a professional, which would be an ideal career for me, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. So I started thinking about ways in which I could enter the action sport industry. And what I came up with is, well, I love these sports. I love being outdoors. Why don't I try my hand at making these action sport videos? So I was watching a lot of surf videos and snowboarding videos. And, you know, why can't I pick up a video recorder and go out and give this one a shot? So that was kind of where the decision was made to kind of hang up my English-Russian dictionary and pick up a camera and go out there and experience life in the passionate sports that I loved. So you're early on in your career and you make this extreme landscape shift, right? You're focused on, I want to make money and there is an opportunity in international business specifically focused on Russian. And you go through the self-reflection period after realizing mostly that you're, you know, we joke about it, but you're physically uncomfortable and you're far away from home in a different environment and you just, you don't like it. And then you swing in polar opposite direction from I'm focused on making money and I'm going to the ends of the earth to do it to I want to be in a comfortable environment. I want to be outdoors and I want to try this industry that doesn't really have a clear monetization path. Looking back on that experience, was it intentional that you went from kind of one extreme to the other? You know, looking back on it, it was, I just wanted to do something that I loved. You know, money hadn't been at that point as important as it was at the beginning of my fifth grade, my high school years, or even my college years. I wanted to find more enjoyment in life. I wanted to kind of travel the world, even if it didn't pay me that much, which I was fortunate enough. So I started a company called Extreme Video Adventures. And it allowed me to travel all around the world, filming snowboarding and surf videos in very remote places and islands and mountains. I didn't get paid much. I did a lot of the barter. You know, I got a free surfboard, t-shirts, you know, I got paid for traveling these places, stayed in some pretty questionable places. I was having a lot of fun, but I wasn't making a lot of money. And this, again, was kind of one of these stepping stones where after a year or so, I realized, well, I'm exactly what I wanted to do. Not making any money, though. So how do I figure this out? And at the time, this was the late 90s. I had a business partner, a guy named Mark Underhill, who was an absolute prodigy when it came to computers. He's the kind of guy that could pick up a book about you know, Adobe Photoshop, read it in the night, and then teach you everything there is to know about it. So he was my business partner. And we started using our Mac computers, which weren't as popular as they are today, using software that was just fresh on the market. Adobe had a software package called Premiere, which allowed you to do video editing on your computer. So that got us into and got me into computers a little bit more. So now is applying this kind of outdoor lifestyle, action sports with technology. That eventually got us to start developing web pages for a lot of the companies that were hiring us to do these promotional videos for them. So we started doing web pages that got me into Photoshop, got me into a lot of these programs, the very beginning stages, kind of web development programs. 
So now we expanded out from doing kind of production videos to websites to kind of creating advertising banners and then actually buying spots on Yahoo and AOL and Lycos, which were kind of the top destination locations back then for driving traffic to these sites that we were developing. So let me take a step and just sort of reframe because there's a lot of people that are listening to this podcast that weren't probably internet users back when AOL and Yahoo and you mentioned Lycos as well were the dominant players. Keep in mind that at this time, this is the late 90s, maybe early 2000s, the internet was a very different place. It was basically controlled by these major portal players. And by portal, I mean there was just these big five or ten websites that get millions of people that are coming to them, but they own everything from business to sports to finance. You know, Every different type of property was all held within these walled gardens. It wasn't like today when you go from one website to the next to the next. So when you're buying advertising, you're buying it all from one player. Little internet history lesson, but back when the internet started, there were these major portal players that you can buy banner ads, and most people weren't doing digital advertising. They're still trying to advertise on TV and radio. So Brian, as you are starting to not only build creative experience, right? You're learning how to build websites for brands. You're creating the ads for them. You're also getting some experience in an entrepreneurial venture where you're creating and then placing the advertisement. What did you say drove you to have the ability to learn all of these different skill sets? You had somebody else that was helping you, but you had to go figure out what to learn to make your business work. What sort of drove that? There's always been a kind of a creative side to me. I'm definitely not a good painter or I can't write poetry, but I do actually love to create. So I think that was just kind of a, an extension or an outlet beyond the videos that I was kind of creating. It allowed me kind of control of everything from kind of editing the look and feel of the videos that I was creating, but also kind of the creative around that. And it was just a new and kind of an emerging industry that hadn't been around. So it was somewhat pioneering. There weren't a lot of people out there, not like there is today, who had a ton of experience. So for me, it was all kind of a new adventure. What I didn't realize, but what fortuitously happened is that that street education in the internet really helped propel me to kind of where I'm at today. So we came to the conclusion is there was more money in making these websites. So we shifted the business over to doing a lot of website development. And I started grassroots and online marketing and understanding what a CPM or a cost per thousand or cost per mealy meant. I started understanding who are the big players, what was kind of the creative advertising spec. So It really forced me to learn kind of the industry early on. It seems like there's a common theme here, right? You wanted to do something that was on the cutting edge and wanted to do something that would help you make a lot of money early in your career. And and that's really what drove your pursuit to learn international business and focus on Russia. And then you realized that wasn't a fit for you, got into an entrepreneurial venture, but wound up finding something that was innovative, cutting edge, a place where there wasn't a lot of existing knowledge. So there was a lot of opportunity. Do you think that the same thing that drove you to be interested in Russian studies and Russian business drove you towards the internet? Subconsciously, absolutely. I didn't want to be the guy who woke up every day and went to the same job over and over again. I always wanted to do something kind of new and unique. I didn't want to follow, I guess, the pattern of my father, even my grandfather. So subconsciously, I think that's definitely what drove me. And I think 
trying out these new things, you need to have that experience in order to get information to help you make decisions moving forward. And for me, I think I was in the right place at the right time and fortunately made the right decision. I can easily say that now when you look back at kind of your career path, it's pretty much a straight line. But when you're back there at the beginning or at one of those stages, when you look forward, it's a big tree with many branches. You can go left or right or straight. You can make this decision. You're not really sure which one is the right decision. But it's really easy to kind of look back and saying, okay, I made that decision and this got me to the place that I'm at today. You know, one of the things that drove me obviously was money. The other thing was passion. And I've been fortunate enough to kind of find a place now where I've combined kind of both financial stability as well as passionate creativity and really keeping the desire to learn. And to me, that's, I think, what's driven me the whole time. It's learning a new language. It's learning a new technology. It's learning a new industry. So while money has been a driver, I think even more so it's the desire to learn and grow. So let's talk about that transition from your entrepreneurial experience running your surf company. You start cultivating a new skill set. You're learning media creation and digital advertising. How did you translate your experience as an entrepreneur running your own business into more of a sustainable career? Yeah, so it was 99 and all of these big portals that you had mentioned were really taken off. I think Yahoo's stock at the time was $300 per share. So it was kind of almost at its peak. And, you know, I was calling up Yahoo on a monthly basis and buying advertisements on behalf of the websites that we were kind of creating for our clients. And I realized that a lot of these guys on the other end of the phone, great people to talk to, great people to work with, they didn't have skills that I didn't possess. I often found myself knowing a lot more than the people that I was talking to. And it was just for the mere fact that I had to do so much education on my own. There was no formal training at the time about online advertising. So I realized that I think I could go up there and sell advertising just as well as the people that I'm talking to on the phone. We weren't heading towards retirement with my video company or my multimedia company at the time. So I talked with my partner. We just came to the conclusion that we're going to kind of the close up the shop, sell out the assets. And I was going to pack up my surfboards and move from San Diego to San Francisco. I was fortunate enough to have a friend working at Yahoo at the time. He got me an interview. Things went well. And quite frankly, I don't think I would have gotten the job that I got back then at Yahoo if I was applying today. But at the time, there weren't a lot of people with a ton of experience. I had a pretty extensive background in marketing, being from the advertiser side. So it was a really easy transition for me being from marketing to going to sales. So started Yahoo in 99 and, you know, ended up spending 10 years there, a great 10 years there of really kind of honing in my skills and becoming a lot more fluent in digital advertising sales. So you're now on your really third career path, right? You start off in international business, you move into an entrepreneurial sort of industry-focused passion project where you're running a small agency, and now you're working in ad sales for, at the time, one of the biggest vendors of internet technology and content and media. You were incredibly successful in your time at Yahoo. It's when we started working together. Talk to me about what enabled you to be successful moving from working for yourself at a small company to working in a large and growing tech startup. Yeah, and I think that to me was one of the most exciting parts about my career. 
having that experience at Yahoo back in the day when they were the Google, they were the Facebook of the time was phenomenal. And I had not had that type of experience or exposure to big corporate culture. And I couldn't have picked a better place, right? I think the average age of Yahoo was about 27 or 28. I was right around that age at the time. And it was just a lot of fun. So from a career standpoint, that was one of the most exciting things that I've ever been through. I think professionally too, that also helped me kind of hone my skills. I got to learn from others where before I had one teacher, my partner, Mark, and I would have to kind of wing it and go learn it on my own. Versus now I could actually see hundreds of different types of sales techniques. There were educational classes that Yahoo would put on. I mean, it was just a phenomenal kind of professional learning experience. And for me, it was really, I was pretty green. I was going in there just like a big sponge, asking a ton of questions, sitting in on calls for people that I really respected on the sales side, doing kind of a lot of failures, but asking people what I could do better networking internally at Yahoo, as well as externally with clients that I'm working with, and really just taking it all in. And so for me, that was one of the largest leaps I think I made. So as you learn the skill set of working in you know a larger corporate environment, right? And you're networking, you're, you're meeting lots of people, both at Yahoo, outside of Yahoo. Eventually, you decide to make the transition out of Yahoo. You're still working in an ad sales capacity. Talk to me about transitioning away from the mothership, the big company, the flagship of your resume in terms of brand recognition. What did you do next after Yahoo? I hit a ceiling there. I had kind of learned all that I could learn. And towards the end, I really felt that I lost the enjoyment that I had at one time. And it wasn't good for me professionally, it wasn't obviously good for the company that had treated me so well. So, you know, I made a decision, it's kind of time to leave. And I wanted to kind of throw my hat back into the ring and more of the startup. And, you know, having Yahoo on your resume was extremely helpful. And finding kind of the next company, I went from big corporate back to small startup. So I had a couple of different careers at various stage startup companies. And some of them were great. Some of them didn't work out as well. But again, those were all kind of stepping stones, I think, that brought me to where I'm at today. So in your various experiences working at startups, you know, what was the takeaway working for small companies with big aspirations? And what did you learn that set you up to know that you wanted to run your own company? Yeah, I think deep down, I always knew that I wanted to kind of run my own company. I felt I still needed to learn more. You know, I was in one industry for 12, 15 years doing primarily online advertising sales. The internet has evolved dramatically and that got me into data and the emergence of kind of data management platforms and this coin turned big data. So all these things were happening and I was trying to figure out where is my place in this kind of new world that was emerging. So trying, again, different types of startups that I felt I didn't know much about as far as the products that I was going to need to sell. So that got me to kind of jump out of the Yahoo tree and figure out what is next. And I probably went to two or three different startups over a four to five year period until I've kind of found myself with the confidence to kind of move forward with the startup of Agami TV. 
So as you look back on the path that led you from the fifth grade student that was deciding whether he should be a salesman, a fireman, or an architect, to the lead up to founding Agami TV, what advice do you have for people that are considering their careers and starting up? How did you manage the multiple different direction you had to, to find out what was your fit? When it boils down to it, passion, if there is something that you're absolutely passionate about, explore different opportunities within that. So as I mentioned earlier, I wasn't good enough to be a professional surfer. So I started kind of looking around that ring of professions that are kind of attached or associated with my passion point. You know, if it's anything from an agent of sports people to a writer of sports articles or a creator of sports content, you know, there are different opportunities that surround passions that you have. So really look at those and explore those. Understanding and being real with yourself. Money is a big driver, right? So there's passion and sometimes passion and the jobs that are associated with that passion don't make you the money that you're hoping for. So realizing that those could be separate as well. The thing that has made me, I think, most successful is I've stuck with things that have made me kind of passionate. And as it boils down to it, it's more about learning versus sports or digital sales or marketing. It was really kind of passionate about and makes me excited is to kind of learn. And if I can tie that in with money, then I've found a career that I've been looking for. One of the things that I appreciate the most about your career path, Brian, is that even in the trying times, even when you decided that you didn't want to be in Russia and focus on international business, or when you realized it was time to jump, as you said, out of the Yahoo tree, and try other startups, or some of those startups did or didn't work. There's always something that you've taken away and skills that you've accumulated that enabled you to be successful in the long run. I think that that's an important lesson for people that are starting their careers is it's not a linear journey, right? You're going to pick up skill sets, whether you're in the right place or the wrong place. And some of the ways that you figure out what fits for you is by being in a place that doesn't. So I think that's a good place for us to land the plane for today's episode. So that wraps up this episode of the Finding a Job podcast. Thanks to Brian Bennett, the CEO and founder of Agami TV, for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Brian is going to tell us about what the career is like as a bootstrap startup founder. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Brian, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet at Bennett underscore surfing. That's B-E-N-N-E-T-T underscore surfing. Or you could visit his company's website, which is Egami TV, E-G-A-M-I dot TV. If you or somebody you know is ready to get serious about starting their career, click the subscribe button in your podcast app to follow this podcast. A couple of links in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you're listening to this podcast, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. Just head over to fajpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and the contact information for our guests. If you have career questions, we'd love to hear from you. So we created fajpod.com slash question where you can send us your topic suggestions or ask us a question which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could always reach out on social media. Our handle is fajpod on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to stay positive and always be networking. 